This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by seven awesome people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Kurt Magnuski, and Michael Fritschi. Thank you all for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have with me Mr. Christopher Ernst. Hey, everybody. And Super Infra, I mean, Saxon Man. <laughs> I was waiting to see which one you would go with, and you got me with both. I love it. <laughs> I mean, that that is officially your name now. It's all yours. No one else has it. That's true. That's true. No, I'm Super Saxon Man from now on. It's quite the portmanteau. I like it. It works. It works. Yeah. It I think you find out everything you need to know about me in that. <laughs> um, so the first thing I wanted to do is uh, Colin Karras. We read a story from uh, when we did our listener story show about ghosts dancing in the front of his house. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to clarify some things, so he sent me a voice message. So there's really no point in me reiterating his voice message. I'm just going to play the voice message. Okay, awesome. Plus, oh, cool. you know, his accent's awesome. So uh, yeah. I'm going to play this right now. This is him just clarifying about that whole ghost incident, and we'll be right back. Uh, hi, Soraya. It is me, Colin Karras. Uh, I'm just sending you a quick little voice message. Uh, because you uh, featured my story about the the dancing Scottish ghosts on your most recent uh, episode. And I just really wanted to chuck you a couple more bits of information that I don't think I mentioned in my email. You don't have to, like, broadcast this or anything. I just thought I'd uh, send it to you anyway. So, uh, yeah, so what, what I didn't mention was that really where I am, I was looking out uh, early in the morning... Uh, through some sort of tatty old net curtains, and I could, there was some plants that were sort of blowing and waving in the breeze, and I, I I was having a sort of bit of cognitive dissonance almost because I was looking at um these plants and and I genuinely like say when I when I looked out I could see these people dancing in the garden like I could see three people at the top of the garden dancing like almost carousing, like they were having a drink and having a party, which was totally unusual and it was not something that I would ever see in my garden. But I looked down and I could see that. And there was another person running around in the bottom of the garden. And I, and, and yeah, but like I say, after like about a minute or so of looking at these people, these ghosts, these weird shapes, and they were sort of gelatinous, is that the word I'm looking for? They were sort of drifting in in and out of each other, like they were sort of translucent and see-through. Uh, but at the same time, I was looking, thinking, yeah, this is an optical illusion. It's just the effects of not having my glasses on, and I need a new pair of glasses, and it's dark, and I'm looking out the window through these net curtains, and there's some plants sort of waving about in the breeze. And if I look at it one way... It's just plants waving about in the breeze. 
But then at the same time, I'm looking at and thinking, I can see people here. <laughs> so, so I'm sort of undecided on it. I'm really undecided. I don't know what to make of it. You know, and um, I've had uh, in in like sort of recent years, I've had some sort of sleep paralysis type things where I've seen sort of weird shape shifting beings. But then I kind of um, my sort of rational skeptic brain is always sort of saying to myself, no, that's just sort of side effects of your own brain. I think when I was on your show, I, I talked about a girl that I used to know who I worked in a hotel with her and she could just see dead people walking around. I got to talking to her about that and she was like, oh, yeah. I can I can just see them. Uh, it's a spooky old hotel, and I can see dead people walking around. So I, I I don't know what I was looking at. It's it's sort of strange and paradoxical. So I just wanted to chuck that extra little bit of information in your direction, and I, I always think about Jeff Jeff Ritzman. You know when when I when I think about this stuff, you know. <laughs> so anyway, Soraya, um. Uh, keep doing what you do. Really enjoy the show. It's always entertaining. I kind of think that there should be a sort of maybe somebody's mentioned this, but I feel like there should be a sort of um, where did the road go? Um, uh, drinking game, whereby when when certain things get mentioned, such as Whitley Strieber usually gets mentioned quite early on. Um, Jacques Vallée, uh, Jane Roberts, and or Seth, the uh, the Invisible Gorilla. So when, whenever those things come up, uh, I'll probably have a, a brief drink uh, to remember Jeff as well. So so anyway, Soraya, um, random little bit of um, brain droppings from me. Uh, thanks and bye. All right. So that was that was from Colin. Really should drag him back on the show again at some point. Uh, yeah. Maybe for a round table. Yeah. I think that's I think he started doing stuff uh as I'm listening back to Paratopia. Uh at one point they started letting listeners just do shows. So they took a step back and said, you know, record yourself talking about whatever you want to talk about and send it to us. And Colin I think sent in two shows worth of material. I love it. And I uh, vaguely remember that. Like, uh, yeah, okay. I don't yeah. know how long that lasted for cuz I'm not listening to them in order. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, hopefully we're going we're going to have Jeremy Vaney back on maybe in the next show. Um and uh, I have I I have a bunch of questions for him now that I've listened to a bunch more Paratopia. Yeah. So, uh I I find that the two of them were kind of on the same level uh thinking about this stuff that we are independently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, cause I never heard Paratopia. I'd never even heard of yeah. Paratopia. Uh, I met Jeff because he was on project archivist. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so now I'm listening yeah. to these going, Oh, so they were, they were in a lot of these, these ideas were, they were floating out there before I ever came thought of them or came across them or whatever. Um, depending on what the idea was. Yeah. It was kind of different. I mean, I remember listening to it off and on, like, God, when was this? This must have been 2009, 20, 2010. Yeah. I was going to say 2010 mm. or something like that. Uh, yeah, I definitely didn't listen to all of them, but like it's, it, it had, I mean, there was certainly like, that's why I started listening to the word the Rogo from the very beginning is cause I was already kind of tapped into, um, uh, it from, uh, but it, it it's, there was a different sort of uh, uh, vibe to it that I think was unique and worked uh, on its own. Um, yeah, I might have to go back and listen to some of those. My re-listen to some of those myself. Yeah, some of them are really I, you know, interesting. They are. I I, I always appreciate uh, Jeff and Jeremy's slightly uh, exasperated, you know, uh, yes. like bits of humor and sarcasm about yeah. the whole thing yes. too, and it, it it just gives it a lot more character instead of just being 
woo, spooky, right. you know, and, and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I, I, I need to go back and listen to more. I've been picking through them as Jeremy's been re-uploading them because I, I didn't know of them until after I started listening to Where Did the Road Go? Right, yeah. yeah. Thing. But now um, I understand why Jeff was okay coming on this show when he normally wasn't doing things. <laughs> totally. Because uh, I was like, I, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was honored that he felt that way, but now I'm understanding yeah. why he felt that way. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah completely. I'd love to hear uh, uh, Barbara talk to Jeremy some, too, hmm. uh, if that's something that can be put together. Um, just because, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of Barbara's sensibilities line up with Jeff's uh, approach and kind of listening to her put some, you know, uh, uh, um, direct conversation to Jeremy in that regard, what they would come up with. Yeah. Yeah. It might be interesting. It, it would either be a disaster or it would be really interesting. Oh, I think they would have fun. Uh, cause Barbara really likes Jeff. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so, so <laughs> the one thing I realized, uh, and, uh, when I do this show with Jeremy, hopefully Chris, you'll be on it because yeah, you guys, I think worked at MTV at the same time. When was he there? Uh, sometime in the two thousands. Yeah. I was there at the late, I started there in the late two thousands, but I was there. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know exactly. Over, I mean, by 2009, he wasn't at MTV anymore. Okay. So he and I, I probably started just as he, uh, ended because I was started there probably, what is it? 2008. Okay. Um, uh, full time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if, even if we weren't there at the same time, it was still the same at that point, it was still the same, uh, like structure and everything. Yeah. So yeah. We, we very much, yeah, we, we would know the same might even know some some of the same people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I thought that I, w- I wanted to, to dig into that and see if that was a thing. Cause that would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, cause he just happened to mention it and I'm sure he's mentioned it prior, but he mentioned on one of the shows that he used to work for MTV and I'm like, wait, so no, did, that'd be cool. So yeah, did Chris yeah, and they were both in, did. you know, and he was yeah. in New York city at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So, all right. So one of the things, and I, I had brought this up when, uh, we had Josh on last and none of us could find any info on this. Morton Downey Jr., for anyone who remembers him, he was a a very abrasive talk show host in the 80s, had a UFO encounter. And uh, the, like, I tried Googling it, and I could not find it anywhere. Uh, Josh tried some resources he had and at least found the report from, like, 1954 or whatever it was, but he couldn't really get much information from it. And uh, so I'm like, what I remember is him talking about his teeth, like, somehow they they, they... replaced his teeth or something like that but it's been so long i couldn't remember what it was and i'm digging around for it and i'm like i can't i can't find anything on this you type in morton downey teeth ufo you get nothing um so tonight before we did this i uh you know i'm I'm like let me see if i can find anything and i found a show that someone just took an entire vhs tape like a six hour vhs tape and just put it up and uh, so in that show, he talks about the uh, the whole incident. And it's a little confusing because they say he's under hypnosis, but he's not. Like, as far Does, as I can tell. It doesn't tell. seem like it. Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like he's just kind of acting there. I don't know exactly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's TV, it's entertainment. So it's hard to say what was going on here, whether he was actually hypnotized while he's talking about this. The way, from what little bits I've been able to find, he remembered most of this, uh, but he mm-hmm. lost time. And that's what mm-hmm. the hypnosis was for. So when he mm-hmm. gets up to that point where he's missing the time, where he doesn't remember, um, that's that's where it gets a little sketchy. Uh, but the thing is, this was in the late 80s. I, I think it was 1988, maybe. 
And the story he tells is not a typical UFO encounter mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I clipped the audio. I cleaned it up as best I could. This, Like I said, this is someone who put up a, a VHS tape. Most of it's exercise, some kind of morning exercise routine from TV. And then there's a show on like uh, galaxies and stuff off like uh, uh, ABC News or something. And then this. So I will post a link if people want to see the whole thing. Uh, yeah. After this portion, uh, what, what blew my mind is there's Peter Robbins and his uh, sister. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, a very young Peter Robbins by comparison, yeah. you know, and I'm like, whoa, that's Peter. What the hell? Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's hear this and then we'll come back and we'll discuss it. During the segment break, I was removed to the rear of the stage and hypnotized. Dr. Mundy, I'm going to let you carry it from here. That was easy to do because Mort has had a lot of training in hypnotizing himself. He's had much experience with this and has a very strong mind. So he's able to concentrate in spite of everything else that's going on. During that time, I suggested to him that he would be able to recall the experience that he had and that he would also have a dream about it and that he would be able to remember this and tell us about it. Doctor, in uh, 1954, I was driving on a Boston Post road. I was working, I was a young kid, I was working for an advertising agency. I had to get to Boston for a convention. It was late at night. Mm -hmm. I drove the Boston Post road, which Tell led me now up. in the first person, as if it were going on right now. I was driving on the road. Driving on the Boston Post road. Mm -hmm. What happened? I've been driving, I guess, about two and a half hours now from New York. I'm outside of Hartford, Connecticut. We don't have we don't have any big roads. We just have this two-lane Boston Post Road, which every once in a while when we go up a hill, it opens up into a three-lane road for, for passing purposes and for trucks to pull on the side. I drive along and I'm I'm kind of uh, you know, you kind of go into a trance sometimes when you drive, you're watching the white lines late at night. And I noticed to my right, my radio didn't work. I didn't have enough money to get it fixed. I, I'm, what is it? I'm, I'm driving along now, and there is a star to my right. And it's always right outside my window of my car. I guess I've driven about 40 or 50 miles with this star now. And uh, it must be an airplane. It must be an airplane because I don't know of anything else that moves that way. I know I've seen shooting stars, but this one is moving with me. I, I'm driving past an electric power plant. One of those plants where they, I guess they have electricity that they dole out to the community. I'm, I'm still driving in this star now, and I've gone zigzag on this road, and this star is now in front of me. So it must be. But it's moving over and away and out of my distant sight. And, and as I drive a little further, there's an overpass over the Boston Post Road, and, and uh, I, I see fog. There's fog coming down over this overpass, and I think, well, it must be a fog patch because at this time of the year, there's, there's fog patches all over. As I get closer to the fog, I realize it's right over the bridge. I'm now going all the way over the bridge, and and I'm afraid I'm not in the three-lane area. I'm afraid there may be a truck coming. So I take my foot off 
the accelerator and I hit the fog. As I hit the fog, now my, my lights are going down. My car is stopping by itself. I haven't put my feet on the brakes. I turn to the right so I can get over to the side of the road, but I'm not sure where the bridge abutment is. And, and I realize the car has come to a stop. And I'm in the dark except for this, this gray pulsating light and swirling fog that I see around me. And something in my mind keeps saying, oh, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. So I decide what I better do is get out of my car. So I reach for the handle. And the handle is, is like it's stripped. It just goes around. It goes around. I, I try to open the window. It doesn't go down. I have, a, I have a vent, a little vent on my car. I open that. And the vent won't open. I try, I try the other side. Nothing's opening in the car. I try to start it. I try to put the lights on. Nothing's happening. There's no click, click. And I turn it. And this voice keeps, keeps saying to me, you have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. And I look at my hands. And the hair on my hands and on my head is standing straight up like, like when you use a comb in the summertime and it's dry and the electricity makes your hair frizz out. And I think, well, that's got to be from the electric power plant that I passed three or four miles down the road. But why would I have picked up that electricity? And all of a sudden, wonderful light feeling that my whole vehicle is just being picked up off the road. But I don't, I don't feel any motion. It's like, it's like I've just filled myself with laughing gas. I'm just being lifted off the road. I don't see any faces. I don't feel any touch. But I have that voice that keeps saying, you have nothing to fear. The next thing I realize is I, I have these tremendous pains in my, in my solar plexus here and over my chest. And I think, am I dying? Am I having a heart attack? And again, I have the, of nothing to fear. I see a fog, but I've been seeing the fog now for the last, I don't know how many minutes. Rub my eyes and the fog is still there. And then I don't know how long it is, but I have the feeling that gently the car is replaced on the road. I've never left the car. And as I'm sitting there, I see for the first time pavement in front of me and the swirling of the fog as it starts to pick up. And as that happens, automatically, because my key was on and my light switch is on, automatically the lights start to go back on. And I, and I, and I think, let me roll down, let me roll down the window. And my window rolls down. And I, I look at my watch. Well, I hadn't looked at it before, so I didn't know what time it was. And it's now 10 minutes to two. And I drive further up the road. I, I, I leave and I drive further up the road. As I drive up the road, I say, I'm tired. I'm probably, I'm probably hallucinating. I'm probably hallucinating. So I turn into a cabin. They didn't have motels on there. They had cabins. And when I check into the cabin, when I check into the cabin, I have to wake the manager of the cabin. And I look at my watch. His watch says one time. Mine says 43 minutes less. I've lost 43, 43 minutes. That's very fine. You can rest now and you'll feel quite relaxed. And you'll remember the rest of it in the form of a dream. Whatever the middle part that was missing, the 43 minutes, you will be able to condense into a symbolic dream, which will help us understand what happened to you. You can be I really awake don't know now. I what happened to me, but I know 
in the dream I had when the car was lifted, the most beautiful blue funnel of light, of, of almost clouds. It was like gray clouds, but they were blue. They were blue, right? And there was a funnel. There was a funnel through the clouds with a yellow light. A yellow light. I walked to follow that light. I followed that light. It wasn't the white light that they tell you about, right? It wasn't the white light. It was just the yellow light. And when I got through to the other side of that light, I saw oh so many beautiful faces. And I returned. Right. Okay. That's typical. Okay. You're all right now? You feel all right now? This was not a dream originally. How can you say that this was not a dream originally? The effects of the dream would not last for many, many years. This effect has lasted. This was back in, you were 20, I believe. It was a long time ago. A dream that you had 20 years ago would not have such a profound effect. The dream may affect you. That's absolutely untrue. That's absolutely untrue. People can wake from a state of sleep and remember dreams immediately afterwards. If they have some emotional value to them, they'll remember them for the rest of their lives. It does not have to be a confabulated story. If it has an emotional impact. Well, and obviously, uh, he, he says he's being lifted out of his car and things like that. That could perhaps, you know, that could be potentially upsetting to people. That could be a nightmare oh, to most upsetting. people. It is certainly upsetting. Are you, I want you to be awake now. Be awake. Be awake. Uh, All right. Oh, asking. Okay. Okay. Let me, Doctor. Uh, let me introduce our guest at home base for you, please. At home base, we have Doctor Gene Monday, who is a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Doctor, can you give me some of your credentials and your background? I'm a certified psychologist, PhD, licensed by the state of New York to do psychotherapy and make diagnoses. Right. <laughs> now, let me. Doctor, doctor, let me ask you. You hypnotized me before we went on the air tonight, all right? right. Up in my office. Right. Have you ever met me before? No, I've never met you was before. Was the hypnosis successful? Yes, it was successful. What were your findings? My findings are that you have had this abduction experience. All right. Well, wait a minute. Wait, in, your experience, in your experience, you didn't say in your experience, are there some people who simply can't be hypnotized? Yes, that's true, too. Was I one of them? No, you were an ideal subject because you've had not much Joe, previous Joe training. Joe and Mike. Where's Mike? Joe and there, wherever Mike is, I have a question usually for you guys. The people that are, right. Usually the people that are the most susceptible hypnosis are also the ones that are fantasy prone to begin with. You got a good imagination. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know. Is that true? No. May I have your May I have your credentials, sir? I'm a psychologist. I'm a PhD. Psychologist, PhD. So you two have the same training that the doctor has, and you don't agree with her findings. No, she doesn't agree my, with yours. My training and is in the obviously, area. Obviously, obviously, gentlemen, we are proving that uh, the area of psychoanalysis, etc., is extreme. All right, so that was some uh, annoyingly bad quality uh, Morton Downey Jr. A little Talk sizzle on it, but yeah. It, it, yeah. And it just it just cuts. Uh, the audio just cuts out at that point. Um, but what I picked up from listening further on that Morton doesn't really think much of psychologists. Big surprise. Um, yeah. And the guy, one of the guys who was interrupting him is the uh, very famous skeptic. Uh, he's out of Buffalo. His name's Ed. Uh, what is his name? 
Mart was it Mart Martin Scarborough or something? He might have been one. There were two people. Yeah. But there, there's one guy who was on all the talk shows uh, and is just, you know, a complete skeptic, won't even listen to possibilities of anything. Um, yeah. But what I found interesting about this is there's no, you know, they, they kept flashing on the screen that he was under hypnosis and that he does not believe he was abducted by aliens. But nowhere in that story does he talk about being abducted by aliens. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm not sure why they were flashing that up. Like, and, yeah, and, it was I. It was pretty interesting. I was struck by it. You know, and I, there, there's, I suppose, the just the bigger context of the way people perceive these things. Because, you know, uh, I think Josh had mentioned this. Like, if you ask Josh if he believes in UFOs or aliens, you know, he's like, what do you mean? You know, and so Orton's experience may be like, well, I want to share this experience, but I don't want you to think that I believe in, um, you know, little green men. Right, right. Uh, meanwhile, you know, you see in the background, they had those uh, uh, kind of like knockoff gray alien masks and yeah. things. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like, how do we talk about this? Have the person that does the hypnosis retrieval, but also I don't want people to think that I, uh, you know, w- was uh, abducted by, you know, uh, little gray aliens or, or whatever. So it's almost like a, a social defense mechanism or something like that, because uh, society lacks the nuance of how to talk about these things. And they, and they talk yeah. about that a little bit on the show at one point. I don't remember who brought it up, but um, that's right. The other thing is he starts off by saying that you, we went into my office before the show and you hypnotized me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then he's supposedly hypnotized on the stage, but we never see her put him in a trance or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what? This is confusing. I'm not sure what's going on here. Yeah. I'm not sure if they were saying that he's like retelling what he said under hypnosis off camera or whether or not they're trying to say that he was hypnotized again. Yeah, that was confusing to me as well. Yeah, it confused me too. And then the way the crowd, well, it was the skeptic at the end in particular was like yelling. Yeah. You know, he he seemed to not know that was going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was the first that was the only thing that really made me think that he was under to some degree. Yes. But, yeah, you know, I I don't know how people normally react under hypnosis. You know, I, I've been to those stage shows that are kind of like comedy things where they hypnotize the people on stage and they do things they've never done before and what have you. Yeah. So I suppose it's possible that, you know, he could very easily be in a trance and relive that experience in front of a, a crowd that's active right. but um you know it it doesn't fit, like fit my conventional idea like i would assume he would it would need to be quiet and he would need to be laid back and relaxed with his eyes closed and yeah everything. and he's just sitting there smoking cigarettes and you know retelling yeah. the story and yeah, then I mean, he looks like a, a you know private detective with his cigarette in his ashtray like recounting how he got you know stopped on the side of the road by a light <laughs> yeah yeah right. In a fog bank. Yes, in a fog yeah. bank. Yeah. In a fog bank, right. Which, you know, goes toward Travis's work. Uh, Travis Watts. Yeah, that's what I was going No, totally. As well as... It was Jet- like a star. Wasn't it the star that was following him? And he was on uh, Boston Post Road. So this, like, two-lane road that goes right through sort of like i mean it's it's kind of going through up through the hudson valley like yeah. you know um, and this is 1954 uh, this happened to him yeah, yeah yeah he said the star followed him for like 40 or 50 miles yeah i don't remember yep. exactly yeah something in that range and you know he speculated it was a plane and then he talked about what was it it was a 
did it become a flashing gray light? Did I understand that? I, with how yeah, it was something to... he was saying he was going. Was it? Did he go through a bridge, or were they yeah. going? Yeah, he was under a bridge. Yeah, and the fog, the fog was above and below the bridge, and that's where the car stalled out. I think. And then he yeah. stalled, and he started seeing. As he says, the dull gray pulsing light. Yeah. The, the and then he said. He, Go ahead, right. Oh, he also said he felt like he was being lifted up. Yeah, that's right. And he didn't. I mean, it almost seems like he was in an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. And again, this completely. Is, yeah. If you're gonna yeah. make something up, this is not the type of story you make up. You make up a story where, oh, they took me into their ship and they did this. And it's 1988. You know, this is yeah. not your traditional UFO story at that point. Right. Yeah, it's not. Um, what I really thought made it sound, you know, not being in a, a, a being in an altered state of consciousness, making it sound like that, or or even we might say out of body in some ways, even though he was in his car, saying that air quotes, was the windows didn't roll down. Yeah, uh, that's weird. I mean, and he also stated a, he also stated he never left his car. Yeah, he never left his car, and and you know the the reason I was bringing up the windows just to point out to the listeners is uh you know these are these are good old mechanical roll up and down windows. Yeah. They're not electric windows. So and he said they were the know, handles were just spinning like they were like they were stripped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that makes me think like this is going on in his mind or in something that's not everyday reality. Yeah. And, and it also fits uh, Jenny Randall's time storm idea because these these are the elements that she was looking for, like fog banks and uh, uh, missing time by going into these weird fog banks where you have like this Oz factor type experience and then you come out, you know, ahead or behind where you should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think his I think he said his watch said like it was whatever time and it wasn't till he got where he was going. And then he saw the time and realized he lost forty three minutes, and his his clock yeah. was different by forty three minutes. It wasn't just, yeah. it wasn't just that he didn't remember. It's that his clock stopped, his his watch stopped for forty three minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was it was forty three minutes behind. I think the um, counter at the end where yeah. he checked in. Yeah, um, yeah that that's interesting. You know, because usually, uh, usually, like this happens a lot. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it always seems like you, I don't know, the watch didn't stop. You just get back, you know, you come to and it's like, oh, it's five hours later. This right. only should have taken me an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, and even with the time slip stuff, it's like you're gone longer than the actual time that passed. And, and this was the opposite. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird story. And unfortunately, this is, I, I kept a handful of the Morton Downey shows on like weird subjects. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be one of the ones I either never saw or didn't keep. I, I don't know why I wouldn't have kept it. Maybe I just didn't see it. I thought I had one on UFOs. Like I have one he did on weird religious practices. And I don't even remember what the other ones were, but none of them were UFOs. Yeah. And so finding this was like just pure luck, really. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we didn't talk about uh, going through the, the, the beautiful tunnel to the yellow light. That was the hip. That was the hip, the part where she gave him a post hypnotic suggestion that he would dream about what happened in that forty three minutes. Yeah, and, and I, I, that that also confused me too because I was like, was he supposed to have gone somewhere and dreamed that? And yeah, then it came up or or what? Because that that would have been that would have been like earlier that afternoon. She gave him that suggestion. So did he take yeah. a nap? Did he just recall it as a dream? Like what what was going on there? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I don't know if any of you recall or, you know, uh, 
have read um, the Andreasen affair, you know, uh, by uh, what's his name? No, I haven't. Um, Me either. It's basically, yeah, it's about the uh, Betty Andreasen uh, Luca case, which right. I know we've sort of mentioned before. Yep. Um, she was a Massachusetts woman. She was the artist who ended up like she drew all of these drawings. She went through tons and tons of um, uh hypno you know uh, uh hypnotic regression uh to to go through and you know uh recall all these things it's really kind of like um sketchy in the way that if they did it you know it's a very interesting case and there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh that's part of it but uh in listening again actually i i've read it before but uh i'm listening audiobook uh you know which is uh one of the things I like to do when I'm re re intaking a book is to do an audiobook version of it. Uh, uh, Raymond Fowler, that's the guy who uh, wrote it. Um, the the leading that they're doing is so pronounced in the hypnosis. I mean, I do think that there's something that Betty that uh, uh, th- that she's recalling, um, but I. It, I was just really struck by how leading the entire thing was. And I, I didn't know if you guys were familiar with it. Like the questions are just, you know, they're placing all of these ideas in her head. Yeah. yeah. But it also is a really weird thing because both her and her daughter experienced very similar things. And, you know, she it was one of those abductee, th- you know, certain situations that was very much like religious experiences. She had went into this like other realm where she was taken to this door where it opened up and she saw this like phoenix and behind it was a light and she went there and she wouldn't tell the hypnotist what happened behind in the light she's like i can't tell you i Mm. can't tell you and they keep on trying to get her to tell them and she's like i can't tell you it's really it's weird yeah but it got me thinking about hypnosis uh i was thinking about the andreas and affair stuff as i was uh watching this little bit of morton downey yeah yeah did you feel like um morton downey was being led at all from what we saw no because uh, she didn't really say anything no yeah, she didn't say anything yeah if we yeah. don't know what happened backstage again yeah yeah uh but the way she couched things i thought was mostly pretty open um, the, the sort of remembering what happened in the dream, depending on if that happened during the middle of the recording or beforehand, I could see that influencing it because you've been out there talking about aliens sure, sure. before you go backstage to be hypnotized and remember this event like a dream. So I feel like that would be implied context. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, the other thing is, okay, so Morton pretty much sunk himself with a fake Nazi attack years oh, later. Right. Yep. I remember that, yeah. Where he claimed to have been uh, attacked by Nazis in a bathroom, and he drew a swat sticker on his face backwards as if it was done in the mirror. Um, And whereas you could say, well, I mean, maybe they, there was no evidence of an attack, really. Um, It was just something that looked like he did it for attention to to pop his ratings back up because they were dropping. Um, But this is the thing. Like, clearly he wasn't very good at hoaxing this stuff. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, from the reaction of his audience, I don't think him telling this story was exactly what they expected. Yeah. You know, he was known for being controversial, for getting in people's faces, for, you know, just being obnoxious in general. So for him yeah. to calm down and just kind of tell this very strange story that happened to him, I feel like that that's not something that 
put him in a better light. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it hurt him, but it didn't seem like it was something he he did that, uh, you know, where he's like, oh, I'll tell this story and I'll get a lot of support. I think he was he realized he wasn't going to get any support from this. Yeah. And he did say afterwards he took a lie detector and what did they say? He was 92% uh, positive and 8% negative on the test. And then someone immediately goes, lie detector tests don't really mean anything. He's like, uh, you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, thank you for putting putting that out there. <laughs> it's like yeah, the guy's but- like, all that means is you believed it. And I'm like, but that's also something. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not mm-hmm. proof by any means, and neither is hypnosis. But I mean, at least if he if he had massively failed the lie detector, you'd say, okay, well, maybe maybe he's making it up. But again, I think if he was making it up, he would have made up something more wild. And lie detectors, I mean, they're fallible, too. Sure. And uh, the way that, you know, hypnosis feel like this is something that you know more and more people have 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 come to realize but yeah yeah i mean you're right it's you know just the fact that he took on this different very different demeanor when he was delivering it and again i'm still not sure if that was supposed to mean that he was under hypnosis or what but uh it did seem and again it could have been a shtick yeah um you know because this whole thing is shtick you know trying to get as many eyeballs but yep it strikes me as being something that maybe wasn't because you know there's always like we've talked about i think many times before it's the whole trickster uh you know uh phenomenon there's always a little bit of truth that's in there even with you know uh carnival like sideshow antics hey you know when we were uh when tyler uh had a little bit more time to be around you know we talked about some of the work his mother does with hypnosis i believe and trying to recreate some of the, um, you know, uh, 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 sort of like see if she could give him uh, suggestions while he was under to sort of have uh, uh, memories of an right. alien abduction. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, because we talk about these things being related to consciousness and reality in different ways, I'm always a little wary of that because what if that's actually closer to whatever the phenomena is than, you know, uh, uh um, you know, metal, flesh and blood alien out here. Right, right. Uh, like, you know, you, you might mess around and actually create that experience for yourself, but it's real in a lot of ways. Sure. And, and I mean, really real in that sort of like consciousness environment of some other entity just got invited to come, you know, mess around with your head. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, one of the things I found in trying to find info on this uh, was someone who uh, went to do a photo shoot with Morton uh, shortly before he died. Uh, And he had, not shockingly, lung cancer. Uh, And he was very pro-smoking until he lost one of his lungs. And then he came out massively against cigarettes. Um, Mm. None of that's particularly shocking. But um, he had, uh, so they went to do this photo shoot and they, they said they were really nervous. They had, uh, because he's Morton Downey Jr. All they knew is this TV show where he was, you know, aggressive sure. and obnoxious. Yeah. And they said he was one of the nicest people they ever met. Yeah. Now, whether yeah. that was time mellowing him um, or not, they they said it was like his his on-screen personality was like a wrestler. Yeah. You know, he's putting on this, this, this personality when he goes out there and, you know, it's not the person that he really is. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it also just, you know, all that stuff could have mellowed over time too. I think he died in like 2002 or 2001, something like that. Yeah. I, I had a, uh, an acquaintance, let's call him an acquaintance that went on Jerry Springer, um, because he called in to say that he was whatever they were looking for. And I, I won't go into the details of it, but, uh, he was absolutely not the the person or the type of people they were wanting to interview, but he yeah. just decided to play the character 
And it turned out at this point, of course, in the Springer show that that was basically what they expected and wanted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think a lot of kayfabe going on, um, even in these earlier, you know, talk show days. Oh, absolutely. uh, You know, was, yeah, I think it was full on there. I think he's playing a character. A similar um, thing happened with, you know, uh, a friend, a friend of mine, a guy who was uh, uh, I was in a band with. He was dating this girl who was like she's like 17 year old punk. He was like 19 or something. And it was she went on. What was it? It was a Mo- was it Maury? Yeah, it was Maury. Mm. And it was mm-hmm. the whole like, I'm a teenage punk and I'm, I don't do anything my mom says. And it was, you know, I mean, she was. <laughs> you know, kind of a, you know, a, a wild kid, but it was totally like, I want to be on Maury and sure. later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what was I going to say? I've, I've had over the years, numerous people contact me about like, oh, we want you to come on and tell one of your scary stories of the things that happened to you. And I'm always like, they're not really scary. And the response yeah. I almost always get is, can yeah. you make them scary? Yep. Right. And I'm always like, no. No, because that's that's not what they were. You know, I'm not going to like twist this story around just uh, to suit the story you want to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John Tenney talks about that a lot, you know, when he was doing TV things. Him, them being like, yeah, you got to make it spooky. It's got to be, tell it in a scary way. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who ha- do have legitimately scary stories. But, you know, I think that's also because, you know, this re- this stuff responds to how what you bring into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I was saying else I was going to say, I, I still can't find the teeth thing with Morton Downey that I may never find that I did. That's uh, pretty great. I did grab a copy of his, uh, documentary, which I've, I, I took me forever to find it. Uh, cause I had a copy of it somewhere, but I have so much stuff. Uh, it's called Evocator, and I kind of mm-hmm. scanned through that to see if it was in That's there, right. but I, I didn't yeah. see it. It's an hour and a half long and I, we didn't have an hour and a half before we were going to do this show. So I'm like, I skipped yeah. through it. And it was mostly just all the controversial stuff. And I'm like, maybe they mentioned it in there, but if they did, it's probably a brief mention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to go and watch that again at some point. And if I, if I find totally. it, it'll be a part two on uh, Morton Downey's experiences. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one, one of the things I was thinking about is uh, screen memories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a common thing you, you see thrown out there in UFO literature. Well, you saw a deer, but it was really a, a gray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I'm not sure how screen memories really work, um, but I feel like that that's probably a simplification of how this stuff actually works. It's more probably not so much that you're being, you know, the, 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 the idea is that the aliens are putting a screen memory so you see something else. Mm. Where in reality, yeah, I, I don't think... think- I, I think yeah. what might be happening is you're seeing something you don't have a place for, so your, your mind is just going, that's just a deer. Yeah, right. As, as opposed to that's right. just a monster. I feel like that whole screen memory is like an implant being a directed action by, you know, aliens. That's a very Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs thing. I feel yes. like that, you know, that they were the ones that, you know, because they had this very specific and have this very specific. Jacobs is still alive, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but Hopkins has passed. Yeah. They have this very specific um, uh idea of what's happening and it fits into that narrative but i i agree with you i think that it's it's something else and i think that it's also to call them screen memories and have it be something that is a as literal as a false memory that's implanted as sort of subterfuge it's it's a very i think uh anthropocentric uh um 
way of looking at consciousness or at least a limited way of looking at consciousness, like the way that you might, the way that consciousness might work, there might be, uh, functions and ways that things happen when you see something that falls outside of the physics that we know of, or falls outside, uh, even of what we're able to, you know, cognitively put together. I mean, I, it goes back to that whole Lovecraftian, like, you know, non Euclidean geometry, the angles, you know, made me feel weird. I feel like yeah. there's something more there than there is with it being, uh, you know, intentional screen memory. It's like, you can't see this thing because it's existence is something that is either on a different plane of consciousness or it's using geometry that we don't understand or it's co-creation or there are so many different other reasons why what we think of as screen memories, uh, uh, you know, could exist. So apparently the term comes from Freud. Okay. Oh, okay. A screen memory. You're right. Is a distorted memory generally of a visual rather than verbal nature deriving from childhood. The term is coined by Sigmund Freud, and the concept was the subject of his 19, or 1899 paper, Screen Memories. Yeah, uh, that's right. Freud was struck okay. by the presence in himself and in a, of a, other adults of vivid but bland memories. Standing from early childhood, he came to believe that their strength and their preservation both derived from the association with other less innocent infantile occurrences. Uh, as he concluded in his 1899 paper, the falsified memory is the first that we become aware of in the raw material of memory traces out of which it was forged remains unknown to us in the original form. Mm. I mean, again, he's sort of still pointing it back to being there's some like underlying sexual yeah. thing there, which, you know, is very Freud. But I think he's right in the sense that, uh, you know, um, it's there's something that's happening that's it's uh like we're filling in something to uh stand in for something that's too much or we can't understand or you know that's a valid way of looking at it perhaps um mm. you have mike clellan talking about like uh, one of his uh the encounters he had was of someone seeing like a six foot owl standing at the end of their driveway yeah and i was just about to bring that up <laughs> yeah and so right. it's like okay well obviously there's not a six foot owl standing at the end of their driveway but that doesn't mean that it was intentionally hiding itself its real form as much as mm. whatever it was was probably something we couldn't see for what it was and so this person saw it as a giant owl Right. You know, I think there's also, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think the idea of screen memory is that this is like an intentional design by the other to hide itself. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, so there was one Mike Clellan, uh, and and I cannot remember many specifics of this at all. So it, it might be very difficult to track down, but I think it was in messengers where he talks about, uh, someone seeing a gray and the gray turns and looks at them and they keep getting the, uh, uh, you know, uh, vocalization in their head, like telepathy or whatever, or just ow, 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 over and over. Mm. Like it's yeah, yeah. trying to suggest to them to see an owl. Uh, but you know, it's, I, I tend to fall more on the spectrum of, you know, what Chris is saying with it's more, how do we interpret these things? Because it's just beyond what we're used to. And, and, and what you're saying is right too, with like, okay, I saw a six foot owl at the end of the driveway. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean it was 
making me think that, but it's just the best way I could cope with what was going on. Right. Right. And these are not the thing that I was going to say is that these aren't like arbitrary animals too. Like the other factor that I think comes into play is a long history in so many different traditions around the world of certain animals like owls or deer having very significant like spiritual meanings having to do with, you know, supernatural otherworldly uh, events or the Fae or something like that. So, yeah. if you know, we're extending the UFO talk as we always do into that realm. There's there's that, too. So, you know, even if Freud came up with the idea of screen memory and Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, you know, reattributed it to this very specific alien thing, there's this other part that goes way back. Yeah. It does. And, you know, a, a, a little bridge between there, too, I think, is the Mothman and the Owlman of Kent. You know, a lot of descriptions of it, you know, described it as sort of like a, you know, didn't have a head, eyes at the top, shuffling around with its wings. I you guess know, I'm not with, as familiar with Owlman of Kent. What's that? It, it's very much similar to Mothman. It, it, it's almost like a, a British version of Mothman. And they just call him the Owlman of Kent. Um, I don't think it was associated with a lot of UFO sightings or anything. It was just some sightings of an owl man. Yeah, there was. As far as I know, there wasn't the flap around it. But I'll tell you, I just assume there was <laughs> because of Mothman prophecy. So that that tells you the biases I was bringing to it. But you know, there's that iconography of the owl mixing in there too and you've got something that's in that weird category of cryptid and ufo and you know very singular entity that doesn't have sightings all over the place or anything like that right um but also got marked as a harbinger in a lot of ways like an owl uh the first sighting took place in 1976 in the village of mawanan the owl man is sometimes seen as the english counterpart of the mothman due to the similarities between the mothman and the owl man um but i think there's only been a handful of sightings it looks like there's only four listed here. Um, in the year of 1976, a paranormal researcher by the name of Tony Doc Shields came forward claiming that he had investigated a report of two young girls on holiday in Man- or Mao Nan who saw a large winged creature hovering above the church tower on April 17, 1976. Some stories Doc vary. Shields, yeah. Huh? Yeah, Doc Shields. I said Doc Shields. Yeah. yeah. Some stories vary, but the most consistent when it comes to what the girls dubbed the creature Owlman. On July 3rd, 14-year-old Sally Chapman was camping with a friend, Barbara Perry, in the woods near the church. According to her account, as she stood outside her tent, she heard a hissing sound and turned around to see a figure that looked like an owl as big as a man with pointed ears and red eyes. The girl reported that the creature flew up into the air, revealing black pincer-like claws. Sightings of this figure continued to be reported the following day when it was described as silvery gray, and on two occasions two years later, June and August 1978, with all, uh, all within the vicinity of the church. Because both mm. of the 1970 sightings involved Doc Shields, an eccentric with a fondness for hoaxes, researcher yeah. Jonathan Dows acknowledges yeah. that Shields could have invented the Owlman. However, Dows yeah. claims to have interviewed a young man, which, whom he calls Gavin, who encountered the Owlman in 1989, Independently of Shields, uh, Gavin and his girlfriend claimed to have seen a creature about five feet tall that had legs as high as his ankles. The legs had high ankles 
and the feet were large and black with two huge toes on the visible side. The creature was gray and brown with the eyes definitely glowing. In 1995, a female tourist from Chicago wrote to the Western Morning News in Tiro, claiming to have seen a man bird with a ghastly face, wide mouth, glowing eyes, and pointed ears, as well as clawed wings. Mm, mm, mm. Those are all screen memories. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris just messaged me to tell me I'd been, uh, I'd been Mandela'd about the whole Morton Downey Jr. teeth thing. <laughs> I mean, it's right. entirely, it's more likely that my memory is just failing at some point because that was in the eighties. So, I mean, I was, I was, you know, fairly young when I saw it and I just remember him pointing at his teeth and, you know, like talking about being stopped somewhere. I don't know if it was the 1954 encounter uh, and then him pointing at his teeth and going, that's where these came from or something like that to end the show. I believe it. If Yeah. I never watched uh, uh, the show regularly enough to be able to, to remember any of this stuff, but I believe, I mean, it's, I, I believe it. I watched it enough to feel like that would be in line with something that he would say, even if it was just a joke. Right. Right. And so I just like to find out where that, what that story was now. Cause I yeah. seem to remember him talking about it somewhere. Maybe it's in the documentary. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, let's see. I had other notes here about things. It'd be helpful if I could pull those up. Hmm. There we go. Um, oh yeah. I had just, I had made a comment that I, I just, and I'm sure somebody has mentioned this somewhere along the way, but when you're ghost hunting, right? You're looking to talk to the dead. Doesn't that basically fall under the category of necromancy? Totally. I never thought about it like that, but absolutely. And when you realize just how many uh, ghost hunters identify as Christian, you would think there would be a conflict there, but there doesn't seem to be. Maybe because they never think about it like that. Mm. But I mean, (sighs) seeking to communicate with the dead technically would be necromancy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I mean, fun, if you're I'm going by, that. if you're going by five E rules, that is, I mean, you know, speak to dead. This is all, you know, these are all necromantic spells. Um, five E rules. Five I, the Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, joke. Fifth edition. Out there. Ah, okay. All right. But yeah, that was just an interesting observation. I'm pretty yeah, sure somebody else mentioned it previously, but uh, I had. When I was in one of the uh, paratopias I was listening to, uh, they were talking I about mean, something, and I'm like, this is basically necromancy, you know? I mean, it's just it, a fancy version it of it. It totally is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you could find, it's, now, this is coming from me, and I'm a person, you know, who uh, I don't, and I never did uh, watch or enjoy any of the ghost hunting shows. I come from a different sort of oblique angle to this whole thing, and, you know, I'm also not a big fan of most of those type of you know reality shows sure. uh uh even more recent ones that are in that vein um and I, I think i always sort of saw it as being this like i don't know if you're talking terrence mckenna and there's some sort of like you know peak novelty that we're heading towards that it's like this reiteration of the same kind of current that you got with spiritualism but with like less noble means, but it's still Mm. the same like impulse that people have, you know, like maybe the initial impulse to go out ghost hunting, you know, for the first people that started the fad again was similar to what the spiritualists, you know, were doing and, you know, trying something that's more like necromancy or, you know, uh, metaphysical, but then it quickly becomes like most things in this, you know, uh, age, some sort of, commodity that is bought and sold and you know it, it becomes all fake yeah, um yeah you know uh but i think there's like i definitely think there's a line you could draw a line from you know john d to spiritualists to uh uh ghost hunters sure 
That'd be a fun book. <laughs> I, I think it's just concept wise, you know, like it's totally, no, it is. Cause it, it is, is like literally attempting to yeah. talk to the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was, that was a big part too, um, uh, of, uh, early cinema and early photography. I mean, the, the, and early, um, radio and voice recording, like the idea of being able to imprint not only, and this isn't just the idea of like, oh, the savage tribe thinks that the photographs are stealing your souls. This is, you know, the idea of being able to preserve a family member's photograph. There was an idea that you had something that was spiritual that had a part of them there, or, you know, you were communicating with the dead through uh, moving images or recorded voices. Um, that was a big part of, uh, and there's like academics that, uh, talk about this. Um, uh, there's uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the guy. He's this sort of, you know, old weird academic, but he talks about, uh, it's from somewhere in the Midwest, but he, he talks a lot of at you know, cinema conferences about, uh, the connection between what he calls the cinema of attractions and, uh, spiritualism and, you know, this idea basically of communicating with the dead Edison was, you know, that was kind of one of the things that Edison was about for a while. So I think that a lot of these, you know, these things that show up that are, uh, you know, big parts of human evolution and society are very much about necromancy because yeah, since the beginning of time, we don't know what happens to us when we die. True, so, true. you know, whether or not people want to admit it, you know, this is central to people's minds. Even if you have be, even if you're, you know, an atheist, there's got to be some, you know, consideration of it. I mean, I know that a lot of people like to kind of shrug it off and, but there's, you know, the death is, is central to all of our lives. Sure. And, you know, the West doesn't deal with death that well either there who's that woman um i forget her name uh she's she's pretty popular she goes on a lot of podcasts and she's sort of like uh forget what she's a mortician and um she talks about death she josh would know if he were here i'm sorry i'm totally forgetting her name she talks about how here in sort of western culture you know we don't even really deal with death in as sophisticated and uh, even-keeled way as most of the rest of the world does, yeah. um, particularly uh, those that you know, America and uh, you know, Christian America and even atheist America. Yeah. So we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Quick mid-show break here. Um, first contact info. If you have stories, uh, a story, an experience you want to share. With us, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the best place to send them. Uh, beyond that, uh, everything you could want is on wheredidtheroadgo.com. There's a link to our Patreon. It's only $3 a month. You get extra stuff every single week, pretty much, sometimes more than once a week. And uh, you get the shows a week early. There's links to all our social media, our Facebook, Twitter, or I guess X now, um, Discord, etc. All of that is up there. And shows all the way back to the very beginning available on the site. If you like heavy music, check out my music show. It's The Last Exit for the Lost. And you can find that at thelastexit.org. That's also a weekly show. It's also six and a half hours long. And you're going to hear stuff you don't hear anywhere else. Um, we also have live bands and stuff. And it's uh, it's a very underground show. We also do a lot of uh, movie reviews and things like that mixed in there. 
as well, with occasional people from Where Did the Road Go floating over to uh, to that show now and again. All right. As for a recommendation this week, I hope I didn't recommend this already. I I can't remember. Uh, I just started watching it uh, and got through the first season in the last week or so. Uh, it's a series called Invasion. I think it's on Apple. Uh, I mean, the name is, t- is horrible, Invasion. It's so generic. But the way they deal with alien invasion on this is very interesting. There are consciousness aspects. There's, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely good. Uh, it's very, very good. They just started the second season. I started watching some of that. I was going to wait, but then I didn't want to because um, I really wanted to see where they were going to go with it. And it's it's a really good series. And as far as like the way they deal with aliens, it's very unique and different which is not what I was expecting from such a uh, vaguely uh, generic title. So, yeah, Invasion is my recommendation this week, TV series. And like I said, I'm pretty sure it's on Apple, uh, Apple TV, that is. All right, back to the show. Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee, and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Leslin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Rains, Joshua Cutchen, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Gullius, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Samwitzki, Soraya Azkap, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. All right, so I'm here with Christopher Ernst and uh, Super Saxon Man on Where Did the Road Go? Yeah. And uh, Hello. I found this interesting study that came out of uh, Frontiers, I guess it's just FrontiersIn.org, coming out of Northwestern University. Uh, and uh, the study, uh, this is a long paper, but the study is called Predictive Psychological Anticipation Preceding Seemingly Unpredictable Stimuli. And what it's doing is looking at the re- type of research that Dr. Bem did in Cornell where people are shown random images and they respond to those images before they're picked. Ah, okay. So they yeah. did a study, they grabbed all the studies they could find of this type and they they looked to see what the, you know, the averages were, like really were when all these studies were put together and yeah. they correlated to a much higher uh, than chance uh, level. I'm trying to find the bit I highlighted here. Like, this is a very long paper because it talks about all the methods they used. And, uh, oh, where is my highlight? Very Should quickly, I... it is Tom Gunning that is the name of the person, if anybody's looking, that I was referring that talks about, you know, early cinema. Uh, Tom Gunning and Janie Geyser are two people that uh, they talk about. It's pretty cool stuff. Okay, what was that for? Earlier I was talking about uh, there was an academic who was uh, writing papers about uh, the connection between like early cinema and spiritualism oh, okay. and communications with the dead. Uh, okay. And I just yeah. wanted to follow okay. up on that. Um, so in summary, the overall effect is small but statistically significant. Seems not to be due to expectation bias and is unlikely to be due to publication bias. Thus, there seems to be a small predictive anticipatory of psychological shift 
in the seconds preceding apparently unpredictable stimuli. Mm. So basically, people are able to see the future, even if they don't realize yeah. it, because it's it's not it's we're not talking by like days, we're talking by like seconds. So their brain yeah. is actually responding to stimuli that ha- the computer hasn't randomly yep. selected yet. Uh, and they yeah. go through some some very basic uh, explanations and dismiss pretty much all the the ground level ones, leaving us with the question of what's really going on. Yeah. And the fact that this is a published paper is, uh, I think, progress. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it seems like a follow up on that earlier study that uh, uh, I forget who did it. The one where they would show uh, pornography. And yeah, that's then, like, Dr. Pictures Beck. of cat. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. He did that in Cornell. Um, yeah, in it's, Cornell, it's, right, that's it. Because th- what the media went with is that pornography proves psychic ability. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. And he was actually on the Colbert Report talking about it. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, but basically what happens is images of violence or sex will yeah. uh, elicit a stronger, a, a noticeable reaction in the brain. So yeah. versus but the like. the thing is, is that, yeah, it's. I feel like the uh, it's so obvious it's that these are intense images. Yes. Like yeah. that's that's and that yeah, absolutely. But of course the it's sensationalist. So, yeah. But the, wow. but the thing that's happening is that the, the the brain is reacting reacting to those images before they're selected. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what makes the the research so interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And again, that that says, you know, like what what's really going on? Is there randomness? Is there, you know, do do we all all kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, is there free will? I mean, that's really what it comes, starts breaking down to. Well, and, and also the, you know, the sort of Eric Wargo idea of, you know, of, of time moving in ways that yeah. we are not <laughs> yeah, aware absolutely. of or yeah. don't want to admit. Yeah. 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 Oh, or maybe not moving at all. I mean, it might not be exactly what Wargo is talking about, but it's, you know, there's, Something I, you know, I've been reading this book that I'm trying to crack that I've talked about a couple of times, and a lot of people are probably familiar with it. Um, it was from the 70s. It's this uh, book called <clears throat> "Stalking the Wild Pendulum" yeah. uh, on the mechanics of consciousness, and um, I refound this PDF of it. It's by this guy Itzhak Bentov, and it's kind of been relegated to you know 70s New Age woo. But he was a really interesting guy. He was one of those Tesla-like uh, sort of savants. And this is the text that was quoted most in that very famous, uh, recently completely released uh, Stargate. I think it was part of Stargate. Or no, no, it wasn't. Uh, but it was the CIA looking into the Hemisync. Um, oh, okay. uh, yeah. So there was a report that came out and I forget the name of the report, but it was basically the CIA was tasked, somebody in the CIA was tasked to look into hemisync as a way to entrain, uh, psychic abilities and astral projection into people. And he basically came back and was like, yup, this works. And, uh, check out all these references from this book that essentially are, you know, backing up what's kind of like a Vedic idea of the universe. Um, and so there are a lot of quotes and a lot of the, uh, the sort of these images that uh, were copied into that report that's been going around the sort of counterculture conspiracy underground uh, are from this book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum. And he, he talks a lot about this, you know, uh, this idea of time 
moving in um, these different ways. Or in fact, he was, you know, there was something that I was just reading where he was describing it not exactly as moving. Uh, uh, it's not really block universe, but this idea of us being, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, give you guys the link to this um, and we could even post it or something, but there's this little diagram that he uh, has here where he's talking about how time actually uh, expands in a balloon around our now. So there's something about the nowness of uh, our consciousness in this form that uh, acts as almost, uh, he, he sort of describes us as these, a bunch of different points that are uh, radiating outward and causing interference patterns. He, he links this to, you know, the whole um, holographic universe and all these, you know, really uh, interesting ideas that I find uh, resonate with me a lot. And there was um, this one particular thing that uh, I uh, noted that he put down here. This was a summary of one of basically his, uh, the way that he describes nature or creation. And at the end of each of the chapters in this book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, um, he, he, he sum summarizes things. And I'll read this because it's pretty brief, a couple paragraphs. It says, summary. Nature, or in the broad, broadest sense of the word creation, is made up of a continuous spectrum of realities. Present mankind happens to function most of the time in what we call the physical reality, but we also function to a certain extent within four or five of our neighboring realities as well. One can train oneself to interact in these other realities by using certain available techniques. Our successful interaction with these other realities depends on the extent to which we have developed our vehicles or bodies, which are matched to respond to the frequency span of each reality. <clears throat> These bodies are analogous to the higher harmonics of our physical bodies and contain all the information accumulated over many lifetimes. These mm -hmm. higher bodies are centered most of the time about the physical body, but they can also move and function independently of it. At the transition called death, the higher bodies that make up our so-called quote-unquote personalities leave the physical body and continue their existence on the levels above the physical, which are to the unit of consciousness as valid a reality as the physical was previously. This unit of consciousness can still interact weakly with the physical reality. Thoughts or desires do not originate in the brain. They are generated by the respective bodies or fields that act on the brain to produce tiny impulses that the brain amplifies into thoughts. Thoughts exist below the threshold of a recognizable thought. <laughs> so this is the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, this is the kind of knowledge that he's dropping, uh, like it or not. I'm still trying to crack what a lot of it means. Right, right. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Um. I had uh, this short article here that I thought was interesting. Oh, actually, before we get to that, uh, when we're talking about anticipate being able to anticipate stuff, and I think Saxon can probably talk more to this. I want, you know, I feel like that's what happens when you get these people who are really good at like martial arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. You know, there, there's even the, the the old grizzled guys that you know you would say live in a very materialistic world. Uh, you know, that don't get into any of the internal stuff would still say sometimes you just know. Yeah. And uh, I, I think there is something to that, um, you know, cues and things. But, you know, sometimes people just do stuff that you're like, they shouldn't have been able to do that, what they do. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, th this one character that gets sort of, uh, 
you know, some people call it Bullshido, which is where they make fun of it, of course. But it's uh, <laughs> Masaki Hatsumi, who's supposed to be this last living ninja in Japan. And one of the tests he gives his uh, students, and I forget which rank this is, but it's supposed to be fairly high up, is he'll have them sit in front of him with a blindfold on while he stands behind them with a uh, wooden sword. Mm. And their job is to roll out uh, of the way when he decides to swing the sword down at them. Right. Um, And so he's supposedly he's trying to like push his intentionality into the person. So they sense it before they get hit by, you know, the wooden sword, which is, and by the way, these bokens that they use are like um, wooden swords or they're like baseball bats. I mean, it yeah. does not feel good to get hit by one. And, and I think that's where Lucas took some of the force stuff from. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other interesting thing with some of the, the stuff that's particularly in that sort of like ninja boom culture that came about in the 80s was they looked at a lot of those, uh, um, Chris, you probably know the names of these better than I do, but where they would make the formations out of their hands uh, for different types of, like, focusing. Mudras? Yeah, 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 Yeah. mudras, exactly. And there's a lot of interesting research that's like, yeah, this has a a, a noticeable effect when you would do those things. So there's connections there, for sure. I I had a a thought at one point when I was, because I actually use mudras and, you know, whatever we can might call it my meditation practice. Um, but I had a thought as I was using one is that it's, it's a sigil is what it is um, mm. in some way, uh, you know, or at least I use it in a similar way. Uh, yeah. That's fascinating. So I didn't save this article. Hang on. But um, there was some something, I think it was on Reddit, maybe it was on Twitter, I don't know. Someone said, the government has come out and admitted that, that there's technology out there, alien technology out there, 100 to 1,000 years ahead of us, and nobody seems to have noticed. And I said, they did? I, I didn't notice yeah. them saying this. So then I traced what they were talking about, and it comes from the two Navy pilots who saw the Tic Tac. Oh. Like, so these two retired Navy pilots said, oh, this stuff has to be 100 to 1,000 years ahead of us, and they then turned that into the government has admitted. Yeah. And yeah. that's why this disclosure stuff continues to just be ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing with, what's his name? Um, uh, Bruce. I want to call him Groosh. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Groosh, Groosh, yeah, Groosh. I just for some reason I associate it with the uh, uh, song "Don't Let Me Down." <laughs> Groosh. Ah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's sort of the narrative is because he said this, the government has admitted. Yeah, I'm yeah. watching a series on Apple TV called Invasion. Okay, and it's so far it's very good. And uh, in that, we're being invaded by something. Uh, it's not like the typical invasion type of scenario where there are ships coming down and stuff. It's very subtle, and at first we don't know what's going on. And eventually, the American president goes on TV, does a worldwide broadcast saying we are being invaded by something extraterrestrial. Mm. Um. To me, that's disclosure. When the president yeah. goes on television and acknowledges extraterrestrials, and even so, there would be a part of me going, is this a game? Mm-hmm. You know, is this, yeah. are, are, are you creating this in order to strip away more of our rights, you know? because And you would not be the only person. Right. I, I, yeah. I feel like half the country would feel that way. And I don't know if it would necessarily be split along political lines. I feel like it would be another weird 
fracturing of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we could replicate an invasion quite easily. Yeah. yeah. You know, because yeah. what they're doing in the show is they declare martial law, you know, yeah. across mm -hmm. the entire world is under martial law because they're being invaded. And in this case, they really are being invaded. But I mean, with the technology we have that we're not aware of, I'm sure they could mimic an invasion very easily. Well, wasn't this the whole thing that, uh, I forget her name, but the woman who worked with Von Braun, uh, there was a video going around from the nineties with, about her, uh, gosh, uh, um, totally escaping her name is escaping me. But anyway, it's this woman who, uh, apparently was, I think she was Von Braun's assistant maybe mm -hmm. or something like that. And he was essentially saying there was going to be a series of these false flags. And the last one was going to be alien invasion. And this is, you know, all. Oh, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But uh, ah, it, go ahead. It's, it's, it's an interesting series because I'm, I'm like maybe six episodes in and it does not have it's, it's a very different type of story. It does not have the typical, you know, sort of alien invasion stuff. So mm -hmm. it sounds really cool. I'm, it I'm, is. Mm. I'm actually surprised. I'm, as much as I don't like Apple products, there's quite a few yeah. shows on Apple TV I very much like. Yeah, Carol Rosen, that's the name of this woman. And it's, oh, okay. you know, oh, I mean, okay. there's, a, the, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it was going around uh, for a while. It's, yeah, I remember it, it. It, it. A lot of people think it's, it's, it's hooey, but yeah, it's one of those narratives that was out there. It's part of, big part of like the exopolitics, you know, scene. Right. Right. Um, so this other article I had, this one I did save. Uh, eerie dead zone discovered along stretch of North County Trail in Michigan. The North, nope, just covered my text. Uh, the North County Trail stretches from New York to North Dakota and gives hikers access to some of the most scenic views for the northern tier of states have to offer, including Michigan's pictured rocks national lakeshore near uh, Munising. It's near there. Uh, it's near there that one hiker encountered an eerie dead zone along the trail. Uh, they said, "My boyfriend and I were backpacking on the North County Trail. We started at Ow Train, and hiked about seven miles in. We stopped at a designated campsite next to a pond, and it felt super eerie. There was no sign of life at all. No birds chirping. No deer. No nothing." We went off the trail to go around the pond because it was supposedly a stream where we could get fresh water. But the further around the pond we went, the more the sense of dread we got. Neither of us talked about it until we left the next morning. It was so bad that we didn't even finish looking for fresh water. We did without. We made every excuse we could to go back to the site and forget the water. We hung our food like we were supposed to, but had an energy bar that we forgot about and threw it, in a, couple hundred, threw it a couple hundred yards down the trail. The next morning, it was still there. There was no signs of life. Uh, what could account, account for this odd and very <laughs> off-putting section of nature? North of Michigan, like many rural, rural areas in America, have legends of Bigfoot and other cryptozoological, yeah, cryptozoological creatures like the Dogman and Lake Superior monster. Whether it's the absence of life or unexplained sounds or feelings of unease and dread, the mysteries of the woods will likely always endure. So, well, Yeah, that's the yeah, Teal Field of Fear, TNT Zone. Well, yeah. that's that's also where I took Saxon last time he was here. Yeah. Oh. Which was the Connecticut Hill graveyard where there is no signs of, of real life there. There's no sounds. Every once in a while you hear something in the distance, but there's I've been there now three times. Once by mm. myself, once with Saxon and Natalie, and once with uh, Michelangelo and Natalie. And yeah. all, all three times, it was dead quiet. Yeah, that was weird. Because, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, off the highway or anything like that. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, there, there's plenty of forest and it's far away from any major roads. Um, and, yeah, we, we didn't hear anything, you know. And what uh, I have interesting. just 
What mm-hmm. I have discovered is that it's actually called the Alpine Portal. Oh, interesting. It is a, uh, yeah, so here's this, this one from Road Trippers. Uh, in the hills of lower New York State lies a patch of game lands whispered about by locals for years. Purportedly home to a migratory pod of Sasquatch, home to, I'm sorry, home to a migratory, yeah, of Sasquatch. The hill has also been home to UFO sightings, wandering ghosts, and other strange phenomena that have lent credence to the land's nickname, the Alpine Portal. Originally huh. home to thriving Native American cultures, the indigenous people of Connecticut Hill were driven out of the area by George Washington's troops in, 19, in the 1700s. When the new locals began to realize that the hill's climate made for terrible farming, the land was subsequently abandoned and has since been turned into a state wildlife management area. But according to locals and paranormal investigators, the wildlife on Connecticut Hill is a bit wilder than usual. According to area Bigfoot researchers, this particular section of Alpine, New York, is home to what they believe is a migratory pod of Sasquatch who use the area for shelter during the winter months before moving south for the winter. They've backed up their claims with convincing photos, videos, and plaster casts of giant footprints taken from the hill, as well as recordings of purported Sasquatch vocalizations. Furthering their research is a plethora of eyewitness accounts of everything from quick glimpses of the creature the violent campsite attacks in the dead of night. Oh, wow. In addition hmm. to the reports of the big blurry beasts, I like that, uh, the area is rife with UFO sightings, EMF field disturbances high enough to shut down vehicles, and even the occasional ghost wandering through the forgotten c- cemetery. The whole area huh. is so strange, an entire documentary was made about the Alpine portal, portal and its local Bigfoot pod, a film that claims to have capture, captured actual evidence of the hairy creature, and then it says you can watch it online here, and there's no link. Oh, huh. man. I know. I want to see that. Yeah. Um, huh. So, and then there's a whole bunch of comments following it. Uh, someone says, the Alpine Portal, this place can bring you chills. If you take in mind all the stories behind it. Uh, nope, that's not one of the experiences. Okay. I can't find the experiences. Last time I looked at this, oh, there's multiple pages. That's why. And it's not going to let me look at the multiple pages without paying for the site. Mm. What if I do this? Okay, here we go. Um, I've lived in Alpine most of my life, and I've spent nights up there, and I've seen and heard things I don't want to remember. Though I've never seen tracks from Bigfoot, I have seen paranormal activity. I've seen witches from trees and the most terrifying screams you think Someone was getting murdered. I remember one night my brother and I spent the night up there and we got woken up by this terrifying scream. And as soon as we tried to get out, all the doors locked and the scream got louder. But of course, we always went back. That stuff interests us very much. Now, I've seen things on the hill I can't even put here. Uh, They also have a shadow man. He's been reported many times. I was walking in the woods one time. It was probably mid-January and I see these tracks. So I go follow them and all of a sudden the tracks just vanished. There was no wind mm. blowing. It wasn't snowing, and I had a, and it snowed earlier that morning. I can't explain all of that, but yes, I believe Alpine is one of the best places to visit when looking for paranormal activity. Uh, the cem- someone else, the cemetery, uh, the cemetery up there is haunted. I was up there at nightfall and distinctly heard the sobbing of a woman among the gravestones. I repeatedly walked toward where it seemed to be coming from, only for it to resume behind me. I got scared and oh. hightailed it out of there. Oh, wow. Um, I can confirm the weirdness on Connecticut Hill. My car's instrument panel went haywire when I drove up there. Problem resolved as soon as I came off the hill. Also, a Bigfoot believer demonstrated to me that Sasquatch communicate by knocking on hollow logs. He made three loud knocks on a log at the top of the hill. After a few seconds, we heard three knocks in the distance. So is the cemetery on the top of the hill? 
Uh, I don't know exactly. I gotta I gotta look more into this. Is the yeah. the Connecticut Hill Wildlife Management Area is you know I mean it's that whole area, but yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, interesting. So this person yeah. says people did not abandon their land due to poor farming. They were forced off their property by the state. My family included. We spent a lot of our free time uh, up on Connecticut Hill, and I yep. will say there is an eeriness about it. But there's so much of our family history there that I love to be there. Yeah, Sarah, when I first came to visit you, were we trying to go out there when yes. the car was overheating? Yeah, but my car does that. Yeah, that's true. That's there was true. nothing okay. paranormal about that. I had a computer customer up there, and she told me she wasn't that far up the hill, but as soon as I started going to uh, drive up the hill, the car started overheating. Now, when I was with you, I was having fan issues that I didn't know about. The fan issue has been fixed. It still yeah. won't go up that hill. It's too steep. Mm, I see. Oh, okay. In the yeah, winter. So the, cemet the cemetery is, yeah, it's near, it's right near the that Top? center. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's yeah. fascinating how many people have had that, uh, you know, it, wow. just the Oz effect experience there because, you know, it's not like, I mean, obviously you'd heard about it, but we didn't know all this was going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I just heard yeah. a few people told me I had to check it out and that's when I eventually went up there. But yeah. I'd, I'd really like yeah. to find that documentary. I did. I Googled it and I couldn't really find no anything kidding. to fit. Chris, maybe that could be our next project. That yeah. Totally. Absolutely. No, I mean, next time I come up, man, after I get done with this year of all this other work I got to do. And as I told uh, Sarai and sent him a picture, the documentary is, <laughs> it's exporting now. Each chapter takes 48 hours to render. So. Wow. Yeah. Eh, raw 4K. I'm, I don't have a great computer. It, oh, that's oh, how it works. Hopefully I won't have much. Listeners don't want to hear about this. <laughs> nah. All right. We're out uh, of time. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, where can people find you? Uh, Brightrectangle.com. All right. And Saxon? You know, you can find me on Instagram and I hang around the Discord tape. All right. Thank you both. Thank you. I want to take a moment here to give a shout out to all of my Patreons. Because of you, this show continues to be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Tim. Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Janet Shaw Bins, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Seed Person 1, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, a Crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, there's a Patreon-only segment to go along with this that I will put up shortly. 
for Patreons. If you want to become a Patreon, it helps us out immensely. And it's only $3 a month. You get extra stuff all month long. Uh, and that's uh, pay, uh, that. just go to wheretotheroadgo.com and click on the big Patreon link. That's all you got to do. And, you know, like I said, 3 bucks a month. And it's better to just su- to subscribe earlier in the month because it does charge you again at the beginning of the month. Uh, so, you know, the earlier in the month you, you subscribe, you subscribe right at the end. It, you know, charges you again as the, the first comes along, as it tends to do. So just, uh, you know, better to subscribe earlier than later in the month. All right. Uh, I do want to welcome a couple of new Patreons. Uh, Hyperborean Dream. Love that name. And uh, Elizabeth W. Also, a special thanks to Kurt Magnuski uh, for a very generous donation this month. Um, and you can, uh, you can donate to the show at any point. Uh, also at wheretotheroadgo.com. I have an Amazon wish list up there somewhere, too, if you're interested in that. So to take you out, um, I'm going to go with something silly. This is a band called Worm Quartet. I, I may have played something from, from him at some point in the past. It's one guy. Uh, he's a comedy musician. He's been the uh, number one requested song on Dr. Demento numerous times throughout his career. I've known this guy now over 20 years. And he just put out a new record called Carpe Tedium. And this song's been out for a while uh, because he does release just singles and eventually puts a record together. Uh, but this is a this is this seems to be a, a favorite of everyone's. This is a song called "Entire Dog," and I will see you next time. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's a dog! It's a dog! you might still get partial credit. Everyone's special. You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. 
You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.